this hill Past the old hotel and the railroad tracks Run down mill, I don't know So it's, that'll work, huh? Right. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, you want to play that? Sure. Okay. Okay. Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is acclaimed folk singer and songwriter John Smith. In an interview we recorded in early March 2020, BP, before pandemic, John is a longtime teacher of songwriting at the Esalen Institute, where he's helped thousands of students across the years to access their creativity and their personal depths to manifest meaningful and joyful work. He's an awesome, honest artist and a pretty cool person to talk to. I grew up in Iowa, in a small little town, small farm town, come from a real Irish Catholic immigrant farmer, farm community, big family, 10 kids in 10 years time, and pretty much every year. There's one. Sometimes there's more than one in, one, in a 24, in a 12 month period. Sometimes there's a little space. But uh, where are you in the, that 10? I'm third nurse of four boys and six girls. Were you musical as a child? Yeah, I was musical. And as far as singing, I sang all the time. I don't, I don't ever remember not singing. I, and I kind of was almost, <laughs> maybe it was like ADHD, and I didn't know it. But I loved to sit in the rocking chair, and rock and make up songs. And just sing, 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 kind of like, I don't know, mantra, trance kind of a thing. Just go in and, and I was more of a daydreamer when I was a kid, like literally like staring at something and being gone for, I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but I loved it. <laughs> that and then the singing. And then in high school, I graduated high school in 69. So in the 60s, I watched that whole Ed Sullivan Beatles thing. I mean, I was swept into this tidal wave that happened. It's kind of a hard thing to explain if people that weren't there, but it was like in one evening, in a matter of minutes, you know, it was probably the largest watched program of all time on television. They'd already been on the radio. Radio, some, but this thing of being on the Ed Sullivan show, which was a variety show. I mean, there's probably a dancing bear right before the <laughs> the Beatles came out. That's the kind of show it was. And next thing I know, within a year or two, every little town in the U- USA had garage bands. Like overnight, I can't imagine what those drum companies and guitar companies. Well, what happened is for me, my story is. I didn't play a guitar. It was from a pretty poor family. You know, there just wasn't, you know, if you if you asked for a guitar, you weren't, you weren't going to get it, you know. That doesn't mean there could have been other ways, but all my best friends, one of them got drums, one of them got a bass guitar, two brothers got really nice guitars, and then they they kind of got this little band, and we had a nice basement to, to play in. Nobody would sing. Everybody was freaked to that microphone. And I was like, well, I want to be in the band. I'll sing, guys. You know, and I loved the Rolling Stones. We did a ton of Rolling Stones and the Kinks. And and then, you know, I was, and we played for a couple of years. And then, then cool stuff like Buffalo Springfield started coming along. And that was at end of high school. Were you, were you writing songs then? No, no, no writing songs at all. Just didn't even think of that. Really didn't even, it never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I went off to college in Southern California. I just wanted to get out of Iowa. It's not like I hated it. I just wanted more. I wanted the beach. I wanted to see palm trees. Because I had really never been out of Iowa. I really hardly was out of my county, ever. So I just had that dream, that, that far-off look in my eye thing. 
So I did. I went out to California. Was this uh, unheard of in your town to, to, to set off? Like, what Absolutely. did your family think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people went off to college. Yeah. So anyway, I went and lived in Newport and Laguna Beach, California, in Southern California. And of course, I loved the weather and the beach and all that and being away from Iowa. Although there was a big homesick part. I was always drawn back, kind of. Um, and so, but while I was there, it's a long story, but I ended up getting uh, an old guitar given to me. And I went and got a songwriting book. Uh, not songwriting chords yeah. chords, and learn three chords and I wrote a song like the first week and I don't remember I couldn't sing it if I had to but I just remember it was called The Good Life <laughs> it was like let's go out to the country and be hippies and grow vegetables and, and stuff uh, so I got that guitar and I and I really dabbled and worked on it and it was really the end of college because college was going to be business I mean there was a straight part of me that just maybe because I grew up kind of in a degree of poverty. It wasn't like we ever starved, but uh, there were only new clothes once or twice a year and tons of hand-me-downs. And my dad was a factory worker and I loved him, but I I was like, I'm never doing that. What kind of factory did he work for? He worked for a, a, a thing that was called Clinton Engines and they made little Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engines. They made the pistons and stuff in it. So a real factory job, like, in, you know, not great conditions and stuff. And uh, But he was a hard worker, and he worked two jobs. Then he'd come home at night and put on an old funky suit and go sell vacuum cleaners, you know what I mean? So really hard-working people. And, uh, and I was like, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, I, it's not like I had this exact dream. I just didn't want that. this business college but as soon as I got the guitar just whatever it is inside all of us that that has a calling I know a lot of people really fumble for that for a long time like what should I be doing and but when I found music it felt very much a calling you know I grew up very Irish Catholic and the, the church really puts this thing into especially if you have 10 kids they really put a thing in that man one or one or two out of those 10 should be a, a nun or a priest or a monk. You know what I mean? They do. They really put it in you. And when I was little, I, I knew I couldn't be a priest. I knew that was that was never happening. But I thought, man, maybe the monks, like, you know, the Benedictine guys up there, like, I could do that. Maybe hang out with a bunch of guys and, and, and maybe go do, like, St. Francis things, you know, the birds and take care of people. I, I thought, I could maybe, maybe I have a calling for that. <laughs> but of course, I didn't. And uh, But once that music thing hit me, it, that, it, that, was, that was really big. And then... So shortly after that, I ended up kind of delving into the music scene a little bit, but I really didn't like Southern California. There was some other creepy thing about it, and if, even though I was in Newport Laguna, that that was. But when you wanted to start going anywhere with music, you got to delve into L.A. Mm-hmm. and stuff, and it just kind of like. Just this, this this red light went off like this is not going to be for me, and I was homesick kind of. So I went back home and lived on an organic farm, and raised did raise a lot of vegetables and and wrote songs. But then I also was right back where I was at. Like I'm really isolated here. Mm-hmm. I'm really out in the country with a handful of folks living on this farm, and my family was nearby, my folks and stuff. But it was like so, you know, sometimes you can't go back, and I was like. So I got the itch again, and I moved back to California again. When was this? This was like early 70s, like 73 mm-hmm. or 4, and really threw myself back into the music a little deeper. 
got to the same place where I didn't know what to do with the music, but I wasn't writing anything profound, but I was learning the mechanics. There's a real craft, and of course here at Esalen, what I teach is songwriting and creativity. And so the thing I really benefit those years for is I really learned the craft that there is such a thing. There's a toolbox full of tools. Are you talking about structure here? Structure, rhyming, phrasing, you know, yeah, structure, verse, chorus, bridges, um, and, you know, your song being being a journey. Should I write my song in first person, second person, third person? You know, how vulnerable and deep should I, should I go? Who were some of your favorite songwriters at the time? Who were the people that you were looking up to and modeling your craft after? Yeah, really good question. I suppose at the time, individual Dylan songs, you know, like Blowing in the Wind and The Times Are Changing and stuff like that were powerful because they were more like anthems back then um, because Vietnam was going on. Vietnam was going on and, and the Kent State thing happened while I was at school in Southern California. Man, the next day, we went and just tore the flag, pulled down and the whole... I mean, it was like out of control, instant revolution overnight, yeah. just like that. And, and, and there are songs that are associated with that and some of those Dylan songs and Buffalo Springfield and stuff. So, and of course, then Crosby, Stills and Nash, that was big. Jackson Brown was very big for me. Just something about Jackson's voice and his combination of telling a story yet really telling his bigger truth. What do you think about um, Chris Christopherson? Uh, I don't overly know a ton, but just but just a solid, solid songwriter. He was somebody I discovered this year, and I thought, mm, kind of remind me of John in a little in a, in a way. He's got this, yeah. Uh, he's got the imagery. He's got he's got yeah. a very original way of uh, of parsing things. Yeah, and he's still out there doing it. He's got to be like eighty. I don't know what he is, and uh, he's never had a great voice. Uh, it wasn't so bad in the old days, but, but his voice is not what it's about. He's one of those guys that really comes from the old-fashioned uh, school of old folk and old country where their mantra was three chords and the truth. And he comes from that that realm. And I do, too, kind of. I, I fancy it up a little bit more with a few, uh, you know, maybe four or five chords sometimes. <laughs> and then lyrically and poetically, I really like James Taylor. And he was like the master of, uh, you know, these hammer-ons and kind of folk music, but kind of poppy. So those were my earliest influences and kind of like everybody now. Now, you, you mentioned country a couple uh, a, a minutes ago, and, and as familiar as I am with your story, I think there's like a Nashville element to it. That's right. So tell me, tell, tell me how you got there. Yeah, that's a very good question. Anyway, I'm writing songs, and I get good enough to start doing gigs, and then I get good enough to kind of do this thing that's called the college circuit. I played hundreds, at least 500 campuses that had like coffee house shows once a month or something, and, I, and you could really... You know, and I, I did pretty good and actually started, bought a house and started raising kids from that thing. And then, but there was something real empty about it. So then I realized I really kind of found the folk music world, which is a long story, but I went to this thing called the Kerrville Folk Festival and it's been going on about 50 years in the hill country outside Austin. People like Christofferson there and Willie Nelson, Lyle Lovett and Nancy Griffith and all these people were kind of came up through the ranks through that. So I went there, and it, re and it really cracked me open, kind of like a baptism, and I really started to write way 
better songs, you know, with heart. That's like songs got to have heart, and they have to be genuine. You know, you want to hear, you can tell when a song could be a Dylan song or Christopherson song or something. So you're trying to, all writers are working towards getting their place where it's a, hey, there's a John Smith song, kind of. You know, not in an egotistic way. It's just that they're tapped in. They're just tapped into their authenticity, sort of. So that's been my goal. So then I was at this Kerrville Folk Festival one time playing and was in this song contest. And a person came up to me after this thing and said, have you ever thought about coming to Nashville? And I a little bit said, well, you know, maybe just a little because I'd met so many great songwriters and like Nashville actually is the home to John Prine lives there and John Hyatt lives there. And it's a long list of th- people that you you don't think of in the country music world. It's just a hotbed. It's kind of a renaissance place. Long story short, I went to Nashville and had a couple of publishers interested in what I was doing. And I signed a five-year publishing deal, which means you have a contract. And the contract is that that you're going to write songs and they're going to try to get cuts, placement, you know, with uh, with country people. And you get paid like a salary. And then if you do get a cut, they, they get to take their salary off. And then you have some arrangement for what we do with the profits. And so I had that kind of deal. And my deal was a little unique in that. The publisher I had, and that's why I went with her, she was not very much about big hit, like, like, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of country music I don't like that just seems like a mill of songs. She didn't like that, and she wanted a couple folk singers and try to get a story song or folky thing through because every now and then there would be a big hit a big hit would be like a folk song i was like how'd that get get through because but because the truth is old country music used to be that way so anyway that's how i ended up through the back door and i did it like five years and i how many songs do you think you wrote in five years oh a couple hundred couple hundred (laughs) yeah yeah you had to put out a lot of songs and that and that was actually I don't mean to say this in a real negative way, but I was talking to a a guy, Peter Rowan, a great singer-songwriter from there. He really summed it up one time because he had a deal, and we were talking about it backstage at this festival. And he said, you know, I never wrote so many songs that I never sing. I mean, of course, you can't. When you write hundreds and hundreds, you're not going to sing them all. But what he meant by that and what I related is you were writing songs trying to write a song for Garth Brooks or whoever the latest country flavor of the month is. Oh, this is what they like. I'll write a song and I'll, and I'll make it real generic, you know what I mean, and poppy and, and catchy if possible. And then I'll get a cut. My publisher will make some money and I'll make a little bit of money. So I did that for a while. And I didn't, at first I really resisted it because I wasn't hired to do that. And I was hired to just be myself inside. But I wasn't getting any cuts, and everybody else was, you know. And I felt like, my publisher's spending all this money on me. I want to give them something that they can walk down the street. But I never did. No, I like the way 
walking down the road, kicking these blues all alone. Out into the open light of day where moss can't grow. Oh, kicking this stone. Past the school playground. Church graveyard, in the country club, and the factory, the downtown bars, past the alleyway, in the lock-in dam, past the poets, and the prostitutes, and the clergyman, by the city jail, and the county home, past all the saints and sinners, kicking the So during this time, I really even more and more sank into the folk music scene, which is a lot more genuine thing. And when I talk about the folky world, I really mean doing little shows, whether they're house concerts, small clubs and stuff, where it's very intimate. You and the audience, close range, and you're telling your stories like we're talking now about your songs. And then within the evening, you weave a tapestry of different emotions and stories and funny songs, sad songs and stuff. So it's very vulnerable. And I love that. It's almost like there's a theatrical element to it. It's not just one song after another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a character. There's the John Smith kind of on, on central. And it's not that it's just you, but you're speaking for everybody. You're assuming this every man posture in a certain sense. Yeah. 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 Should we have another song? Yeah, I'd love to hear another yeah. song. Where, tell me about where it comes from. Yeah, let me. T- well, I'll talk while I'm tuning up here a little bit. Um, well, it actually comes, the reason I thought about singing it, it was actually written here at Esalen. And it really doesn't have anything particular to say about Esalen other than Esalen reminds me how powerful nature in my life is and always has been, but just really always resonates here. It gets right up to the surface. 
for me, just the smells and, and stuff. But one of the things we, we have done, and you took my class once, uh, Sam. We, one of the best classes I've ever taken. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm no musician, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so one of the assignments, you know, when I teach like a month long, there are a lot of assignments and prompts, things to try to get you to tell a story and your truth and stuff like that. And so one of the ways we do it sometimes is photographs. Bring some photographs that mean something to you. And so this song comes from a photograph. I bought five or six photographs and I, and I had a, uh, a good friend of ours uh, that actually is another staff person that took the class, Keeley. And uh, he, he loved this one picture I had of a couple eagles. He was just like, I want to know all about that picture. You know, I want you to write a song about that. And so, so I did while I was at Esalen here. And it's a true story uh, that takes place about six feet up my front door. <laughs> was the crack of dawn? Something woke me up. Some fierce kind of racket somewhere high up above. So I put on my boots and I walked outside. There was a murder of crows circling around our twin white pines. So I took a step back and there high in the tree sat a pair of bald eagles building a nest staring down on me. And out of the west Came a good warm breeze And a white tail feather floated down And landed at my feet Every now and then You get a little sign A touch on the shoulder From the great divine You don't ask why You just begin To believe in The medicine So I took that feather and I bowed my thanks to the eagles and the pines and then I walked on back inside and I called the shaman I asked what does this mean he said it's an omen a blessing son some kind of powerful thing he said it's an honor when they choose your place they say when the eagle shows up Bring a state of grace Somewhere along your past You did something right Now it's time to walk the spirit way Between the earth and the sky Every now and then You get a little sign A kiss on the brow From the great divine
just begin to trust in, to walk in, to breathe in, to believe in the medicine, in the medicine. such an excellent song too such a there is such vast medicine here it's so yeah beautiful. yeah big medicine here yeah. talk to me about teaching at Esalen so, so what is the point of your um, residential study uh, group that you're helming now and who is it designed for yeah it's designed for anybody that kind of wants to uh, delve into their creativity especially musical so singing writing songs so it's very much about lyric and your voice and singing and playing an instrument and just that art genre uh, of of songwriting and it can be any kind it can be jazzy stuff it can be rock and roll it, it can be rap you know spoken spoken word stuff and then and then in our class it just has evolved more and more and more to be in line with Esalen of you know like the great gestalt practice here of, of of going into the shadow, going into the dark and stuff like that, not being afraid of it, you know. And, and uh, so that's very, very encouraged. So there, there's often a lot of tears in the in the class, but good tears. I mean, of working through some stuff and, uh, you know, just try to create a safe, encouraging, playful space. In my class, there's a nice mix of beginners uh, intermediaries or, or, or uh, inter- intermediate level talents and some people who've been doing this their whole lives and yeah. they're so good they're yeah. amazing but but what I felt about w- what you brought to the table was this willingness to use music as this tool to uncover mm-hmm. right to this this tool to uncover the the personal so music has this great power it, it has a great power that's that it, it, it's an amazing power and it is a power it's not a, that's not a too big a word. I, I really believe that music is one of the few things that in nature, certain things in nature and music have a way of bypassing the ego. I mean, so much of our confusion and lostness and hurt and pain is bound up in our ego, our sense of separateness, who Sam is, who John Smith is, you know what I mean? And in all its glory and it's messiness and so forth. And so I, I, I really, th- you know, like you can be driving in your car down the road and, and you know, you're just having an average kind of day and just driving down the road 10 miles, but all of a sudden a song comes on. And all of a sudden it just, boom, it goes in your heart and all of a sudden you're crying. You didn't even know that issue came up and maybe it's, maybe it's a song about somebody's mom, about a mom and all of a sudden, man, you're just feeling a big mom thing in that that can be beautiful love it can be painful you know whatever so i love what music 
the power of, of music that way f- when it comes to transformation. And there's a power too about gifting that process to somebody who never thought that music could be part of their personal process. Absolutely. That's like seriously rewarding because I, I believe innately it's in all of us. Part of the genius of your teaching style is that you're able to coax students into this process. And I was wondering if you had any stories of students who's, who's, who've touched your heart. There's a lot of stories yeah. like, like that. Small stories about a song that somebody accessed and said something like, I have somebody in my class now, and they are determined. They have this old issue with their father that they've never, I don't know, not so much over-resolved, but anytime they, they go there, they just run the other way. But like I'm writing a song about it's really difficult and I honor that sometimes it doesn't get done because it's so raw it's so hard that it takes a master to to get there but you know we're not here to make master songwriters we're here for somebody to to tap that spot and to work with it and uh, but it is amazing like for example I was working on a song uh, and I was journaling away about it it was a it was a song prompt and what, like I, uh, I'll give sometimes like four prompts, and you have to pick one of them. Mm-hmm. Like one, one of the last classes was a prompt about uh, what was a crossroads in your life? What was a time you chose this and you went this way? Or another one might be, what's up right now? If you get up at three to go to the bathroom and you can't go back to sleep, you know, there's this thing that's really cooking now, and there you are all alone in the night, staring into the dark, can't go to sleep, because it's, you know, what, what is that thing? Maybe that's something you need to journal about and address, and is there a song in there? What's it like to create a concert that features people? Because you do, you do this concert at the end of the month, which is so special. So what's it like to create a concert that features people who have never written or, or performed a song necessarily before? Well, it, it's always kind of, uh, what's the word? There's an incredible uh, anxiousness <laughs> as the teacher. I, I mean, it's almost kind of like, I feel like I'm like a second or third grade teacher and we're doing a, a class performance for all the parents yes, and stuff like that yes. and, and everybody's nervous <laughs> uh, although yeah, here it's a different thing because we're all adults and but some of the people have never sang in front of people and, and you know of course they say the number one fear of people is death and right behind that is public speaking but really, there's a place in between that's worse is public singing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially if you've never done it before. And so we do. We do a program at the very end where everybody does one piece. And most of them do something they wrote that month during the class. And we they, they usually end up writing three or four pieces. Some of them they finish off. And they usually really pick one. And that's the one I want to sing. This is either my truth or I, or I, like, I like singing this one and, and stuff. And we... Uh, and it's just unbelievably in the audience at Esalen, which is so great because it's best, best audience. It's like the best I've ever been ever. around. <laughs> it's, it's so supportive and 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 great. And you can feel the love, the love and the uh, receptacle out there. Like, please give us your stuff, and they know. There's, this isn't the kind of audience that's going to cringe if you talk about some rough relationship in a song. They're like, yeah, man, I had that too. You know, they, they want to relate. They get triggered by it. And they also sit out there and they go, I just, 
I so respect that person up there who's never saying, look, look at what they're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Within but John, it's almost like you have a background as a psychologist. It's like you have a, a major in <laughs> songwriting, a minor as a, as a psychotherapist. Yeah. And I don't, but I do, I do tell you this, what, uh, before I ever came here, I, when I had my Nashville, uh, songwriting deal, I never moved to Nashville. I stayed in Wisconsin. I went one week if, at least every month and stayed and wrote songs and turned in my songs, recorded my songs and played open mics. But I became very entrenched in the community. It was just like coming to Esalen one week every month for for five years. You be you know everybody, you know what I mean, and you so you you create a community, and in that community I just fell into an incredible group of Gestalt circle. Oh really? And, and I did a lot of personal work, and yeah, and this guy's phenomenal. I mean, this guy's in a class by himself, mostly because he's a musician as well mm-hmm. and has an intuition about using music. So when I first got asked. I taught my first class at Esalen in 2005, so 15 years ago. When I first got asked to do it, all my other teaching up to that point had been at camps and stuff where there would be like six teachers, and I'd teach my hour, and they'd teach an hour, and just I might just teach about rhyming or something. And But this, I was going to be the only teacher, and I'm like, how am I going to hold that space? And I thought about this person that I had done all this work with, what would they do? And so I kind of held it in that space, which just happens to be very Esalen-like, you know, incredible match. So, so yeah, I don't, but I've done my share of work. One of the things I really teach in songwriting is, what do you like? Like, what, what are the things you really like? Like, for me, like, somebody might really like baseball. Are they, like, serious gardener? Or, or, or they really like politics. I mean, they're really interested in, in the whole thing. Uh, like for me, one of my big, big interests is, is I really want to know what makes Sam click. I want to know, I, you know, if I can't have a friendship that's not can't go deep and share some of our, our pains and our wounds and our deepest unresolved dreams yet or whatever, usually I'm not... I check out. Mm-hmm. I have to have that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, I just like that. I like like that song, Kick in the Stone, I did earlier. It's just about a, a path of somebody not kicking their stone, kicking their stuff out into the light of day to burn it off and to get beyond it and stuff. So that so I, that gets into my songs. Now, what, what for you was the, the toughest song that you've written in terms of like subject matter? What, what's something that has been extremely challenging for you to speak about, but you were able to phrase it in a song? Yeah. I'll play one, okay? Yeah. Uh, this was the first really honest, hard song that I wrote. And I wrote it thinking I'll never sing it to anybody. Um, and it was just a, it's a true story. It's about, uh, I won't say what it's about, I'll just sing it. He stands beside the window, he watches cars go by. He waves at everybody He's just a friendly guy He doesn't know what day it is He doesn't talk much anymore Sometimes he cries when he means to laugh Doctors say he can't tell that And I come to visit And I 
in the voice there yeah so a song I wrote one night late uh, after coming home from a nursing home Alzheimer's nursing home where my dad had a long battle with Alzheimer's and he always growing up whenever we would leave he'd always be in the window or come out in the street and wave until you you know he couldn't see you anymore you just knew he was there and uh, and it was always kind of sad and um, so I remember that one particular day most of the days when I would go visit my dad, I would just just be in the here and now with him. Like, this is how he is, and he's very childlike, and but very loving. He was very sweet, and I just would bring a book or read the newspaper or do a puzzle and, you know, talk with him a little bit, but, he's, you know, you couldn't have real conversations, and, you know, but he'd just kind of shuffle. He didn't walk anywhere. he just kind of shuffle around. And I'd be there reading my book, and he'd come over and rub my back and say, I love you, Johnny. And it was real sweet. And uh, and I'd just be in that place with him the best I could. And, but some days it would be upsetting. You'd just go, I hate this. I hate this Alzheimer's. I want my dad back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just the sadness of it all. And I remember one day, it didn't feel good. It, it was hard to be there with him. And I, I just remember saying goodbye. And, oh, my God, and I just got to the car, and I just sat in the car and just 
exhaled and cried a little bit. I'm just sitting there kind of staring out the window in the car, and I notice, I look, and there he is in his window, waving. Just sitting there waving. Oh, man, freaking. And so I, just, I waved and drove away, and uh, and I came home, and I, geez. And I just remember walking in the house. My um, family was all in bed. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and I just went and closed the kitchen door, lit a candle, and I just wrote that thing out just like that. And it's a unique song in that there's no chorus. It's a very linear, not much rhyming. I wrote the song, and I, and I thought, wow, whatever that is. Didn't really think of it as a song. I just thought of it as expressing how I'm feeling tonight. And then the next day, my wife came home for lunch. She was a teacher then. And uh, she said, what were you working on last night? I could hear you down there. And I said, well, and and I always share what, what I'm working on. So I said, well, here it is. And God, she was sitting there crying. And I thought, hey, there's some power in this probably. And then she, she actually said to me, are you going to sing that for your sisters this weekend that are coming, a couple of them? And I thought, no. You know, I mean, there's no way. I, I get all teary-eyed, and, and, and I don't even know if it's a real song, so forth. And then just another part of me. So they were coming Saturday. They show up Friday night at a gig. I have a gig Friday night. Nice little concert up in a different part of Wisconsin, and they detour, and they go to the show. And there they are. And they're sitting off to the side, and some part of me said, I can sing it to them in public, Here. but I can't, I won't be able to sing it at home. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, that, and so that. I didn't look at them. I just like, I'm not going to look at them. I'll, I'll, I'll lose my stuff if I... <laughs> so I just, I looked ahead and I sang the song. And my partner, Dan, that I've played with for years, he'd never heard it. Nobody had ever heard it. And I played it, boy, and I could hear my sister sniveling. And Dan was teary-eyed over here. But I just like served, just get through the song. And I learned from that night... Uh, how many people came up and mentioned that song and saying um, how moved they were. And, and so the lesson I got from that, sharing our pain, sharing our pain is, can really be a gift. It's not a happy gift, but it's a gift in that it's an unlocking, freeing, you know. And usually when somebody cries from that song, uh, it's because they love their mom or dad, whoever had it. It's just unleashing unlocking some of that love and compassion and stuff. And so uh, to write those kind of songs are as valid as anything else and to, and to write them. And if anybody listening to this podcast wanted to find out more about you and what you, what you do, how would they do that? Thanks, Sam. Uh, they can just go to johnsmithmusic.com. And then if you go there, you just find out a little bit more about me. You can listen to almost everything I've recorded, uh, songs of mine. And you can uh, get on the mailing list. And then I send out about three newsletters a year of what I'm doing. Do you want to end with a song? You got anything? You got, yeah, got, got a couple I'm, minutes? I'm trying to think. Uh, um, I think this key will work. Uh, I'll, I'll finish with this just because it, it is a song that I wrote at Esalen. I got here one year in the winter, February. I didn't tell anybody, but it was actually my birthday, and it was a beautiful day. I think I got here the night before, and then I woke up, and it was a beautiful morning, and I had my breakfast, and I usually stay in the yurts on the other side of the property, and I, uh, <clears throat> but there was some heavy stuff going on in my life. One of my kids was really struggling, and uh, 
And here it was, the first day of this month that I have to give, you know, give myself and throw myself into this class. And I was like, but this, this is, all I know is that I was like, I have to lay this down. I can't, I can't just have this gnawing at me the whole month. It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for the class. And so I just started this mantra from the time I left the, the, the lodge. By the, and then by the time I got through the garden, I had a nice little thing started. And then I walked across the, the bridge, the creek, and then I went down below the Murphy house and finished the song. It's called Lay It Down.
pebbles for my grief. Oh, and as I turn and walk away, I hear the crashing of the wave that washes my sorrow out to sea. Smith, thank you so much. Yeah, great seeing you, Sam. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Terry Gilby, Shannon Hudson, and Greg Archer. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. You can find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast player, as well as at esalen.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contributions.